thank you for flying with us. We know you could have stayed home, just cried and cussed me, or your guns go off if it's time to bust me, or they This is Champagne Sharks. I'm not sure what number this episode is. I think it's episode... Ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Screw you. It's, uh, it's going to be a good stuff, so that's all that matters. Uh, we have with us Michael Brooks. Say hello to the people. I'm sure they already know who you are. Great to be back on Champagne Sharks. Okay, and of course, this is T. Um, yeah, tell the people... For the people who don't know, because sometimes people don't always start at the beginning, uh, just tell the people who you are and what you do and where to find you. I'm Michael Brooks. I host the Michael Brooks Show, which is a weekly uh, YouTube show and podcast for patrons four shows a week. Uh, you can find that. The main way to find me is patreon.com slash TMBS. I co-host the Majority Report, which is a daily political talk show. I solo host it on Thursdays, and then the other time I co-anchor it with uh sam cedar and uh, uh actually i guess like yeah i'm i'm in the i'm writing a book for zero books on the uh <laughs> the, the intellectual dark web or whatever other whatever condescending moniker we're gonna make up for it that isn't dark web so uh yeah you can find me a whole bunch of places you, you know what's weird about the intellectual dark web is that they've embraced that phrase <laughs> and it's like a phrase with like pedophile i mean like the, the actual dark web like is a place with pedophiles illegal drugs all this stuff like it's kind of weird how they've kind of run with it and are okay with being called the intellectual dark web because it sounds kind of sexy on the surface but i mean you're, you're basically associating yourself with all types of like pedophiles organ donors fake viagra pill sellers it's isn't it isn't it also like even there's the most yeah like there's what you said is the biggest thing and then secondly like there is also just the like i don't know man like like at one of the sections of the book i don't I shouldn't give too much away but it's like coming up with the idea of like an actual intellectual dark web just in the sense of like who are thinkers and people who are actually doing what those guys claim to do which is like push conversation actually change culture you know i think of someone like adolf reed or somebody like that and it's funny because it's like even as i'm thinking of this and i have no idea what it's going to be yet maybe it's just going to be like elders that everybody should read or maybe it's going to be like i'll just say like actually i think there's a community you know people like you frankly i don't know yet but i'm saying i don't know any group of people that i'm associated with who would take on like yeah we're the intellectual dark web like it's just such a lack of like it's not even just humility like i think you could accuse all of us of lacking humility but it's just a lack of good sense like but, you just but, sound like such a prick but i think that. what's so funny about it is that's the worst of both worlds because right. first is what you're saying the pretentiousness and the self-seriousness of thinking like you know oh we're like the bad boys of intellectualism or whatever but then the added effect of the moniker you choose or at least you are willing to are willing to accept to display this bad boyness is term associated with pedophiles uh you know all types of junk organs so i mean fake organs. organs i mean it's just i mean it's very it's very them to do that like that's that's just the exact type of miscalculation or miscalibration or tone deafness that is very typical of say like a jordan peterson or those types who are just always kind of putting their foot in their mouth you, you guys had a recent thing at hey, real quick when we were part of the nabla movement nabla movement <laughs> <laughs> no it has nothing to do with the group it's a, <laughs> we're innovative socialists national afro <laughs> latino men i can't help the rest of them, whatever <laughs> but yeah that's funny it's this really cutting edge thing called NAMLA. Mm. <laughs> now always 
making believe life. Uh, I can't get the A. I mean, wait, people life get inspires. It. I don't know, man. Whatever. <laughs> but yeah, the point being, yes, you're right. It's a great. It's a. Well, that's exactly who they are. But yeah, anyways, go ahead, man. Um, you and I went to see Sorry to Bother You uh, the other day. Um, what were your thoughts on the movie? I I started wrapping my head around it. I don't really uh, think I fully understood what I saw. To be honest, I thought it was a great movie. I mean, I think first of all, uh, as Eileen Jones said in the Jackman, she was like, and she would know this better than me. Uh, this is the first pro-union movie made since I think she said Mate Juan in 1987, which is crazy. Uh, Wait, I got it. Never allow man babies to lecture alphas. Oh fuck yeah! yeah Actually, that, we are part of that. that. Is our movement? Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so now we're gonna call ourselves Nambla. Yo, hashtag Nambla. Yeah, and. <laughs> And we're going to play dumb when people bring up the whole pedophile thing. Like, yeah, no, it's like, that's not it's a, a really uncharitable read, and you're taking <laughs> us out of context. Um, okay, so, so finish yeah. your thought. I'm sorry. No, that's amazing. Okay, that that needs to last. Um, but um, yeah, no, so no, I thought it was a really. I think that what it did, and I, yeah, I didn't. I mean, it was kind of you know, it was a bit of a bizarre movie. But I think what it really did was three things. I mean, one, I think it really captured uh the moment and the logic of the you know capitalist space we're in and in a really visceral way and i think like exactly where in terms of like how people have to perform in terms of how the economy actually works number two i think it did you know i mean it's i was obviously made by a marxist because the basic point was like people need to go on strike <laughs> which is true and i thought the third thing about it was i thought it was really impressive the way it, like, I left the theater disturbed and disgusted, which I think anybody would be disturbed and disgusted if they were looking at the world today, but also with um, some degree of optimism. And I think it, it really managed to pull off, like, disturbing, uh, fucked up, upsetting, unsettling, all of the things about the moment we're in and how we organize our economy and all of that. And I think it also gave you some sense, too, of like people do have some power in terms of like a strike. And I also think the character, particularly the, you know, the protagonist, like I think that was a good, um, you know, I think it wasn't just like it wasn't that he was just an antihero for the sake of like we don't have heroes anymore because we, you know, we write like complicated things. I think, no, it really caught like, you know, a real human being kind of going through it and it made, you know, his his failings totally understandable and applicable to any of us and it also made you know where he got bold and righteous um you know accessible so i, I thought it was a good movie yeah. something that was interesting with the movie to me was that somebody tweeted in the guardian was, the guardian had a story i mean one i mean, they didn't actually read the story i just saw the headlines and i know that the authors are not responsible for the headlines most of the time so you can't always blame the author but the person wrote like um Sorry to bother you is this year's get out. And a lot of people got really mad about it. Oh, by the way, there's going to be spoilers going forward. I don't think we've said any spoilers yet. But if you're one of those insane people that listens to a show titled about a movie that says it's going to be talking about a movie and then gets shocked that there's spoilers, this is not the episode you want to listen to. Like, I never get that mindset anywhere. I never get someone that says, hey, we're going to talk about this movie. Then listen, like 15 minutes in, there's a spoiler. Like, oh. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, neither do I. I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't get that either. Yeah, but there's there's going to be spoilers. Um, 
Yeah, what I found really interesting was a lot of people were mad that people were saying um, this is this year's Get Out. And like, oh, what do these two movies have in common? They're made by a black person, whatever. But I don't know. I didn't think it was that crazy a thing to say. Like, I think this was kind of a Get Out, but with more of a class component than a pure um, racial component. But I don't think it was uh, demeaning or reductive or oversimplistic to say that there was some parallels between uh this movie and get out but i was wondering like what you thought about that yeah i mean first you know it's like we talk about this all the time like i just think like obviously the social media hot take a outrage culture is not made up and i'm just at a point where you know unless i could you know fire off a funny tweet about it that would be good for my metrics i ignore most of it so like i don't understand like yes i think the idea especially because you can in some ways draw some parallels. That's not like an, I don't think that that's like an innately ridiculous thing to say. I think they're really, they are really different movies. I think that, you know, Get Out definitely, and they're both really good movies, but I think, you know, Get Out definitely is about, obviously, first and foremost, race and racism, and also a very specific zeroing in on basically, you know, the hypocrisies and the contradictions and the like lurking violence underneath a type of like, you know, kind of affluent white liberal type. And I think it did a really good job with that. I think um I think Sorry to Bother You takes on a lot more. I agree. In terms of just range of subject matter and areas we're dealing with. And I also do think that and again it reflects, I mean, Boots Riley is a Marxist. I think that it is a Marxist movie that is filtered through a specifically like black and in some ways specifically Oakland working class experience. But I think that the, I don't know how to put it. I'm not going to like reduce it to the economics, but I do think that that is what drives the narrative. And I think obviously get out. What really drives the narrative is again, is really just like, you know, this very again not only just racism but actually the very specific kind of racism that more emanates from you know i mean uh, brooklyn or suburban connecticut the guy who would you know like the dad the bradley whitford character that's brilliant oh i wish i could vote for obama again and that casting of using guy from west wing yeah like the most sorkin-esque right sorkin character um, yeah so i don't a good I think, touch yeah i mean i think the idea that like they both deal with race they're both really high quality and they're both like disturbing comedy horrors like okay like these are obvious parallels but they're super different movies yeah but some of the similarities i saw were the fact that uh well lakeith stanford's in, or sanford i forget if it's sanford or stanford but LaKeith, i don't but he's really talented yeah man. but he, he's in both of them he's quite an actor yeah guy, yeah He's running around scared from white people in both of them. Uh, there's That's a video. True. There's a video that is key to understanding the whole thing, where like the black character has to be shown a video by the white people that is horrifying and kind right. of explains. So it's it's like I don't think they were very. I don't think they were totally similar, but I wouldn't give somebody too much grief over seeing um, some parallels. I think there were some structural parallels, especially with the whole video revelation thing. I I think, but. I agree it's not enough to call them the same movie, but... Do you think, though, I think you're... T- I mean, yeah, that's a good point that I just overlooked, but obviously you're totally right. But do you think that, like... And I guess this is definitely my vulgar Marxism, but I'll just put it out there. And I really... I actually... I was shocked by how much I liked Get Out, to be honest with you. I I expected it to be good, but, like, 
I like Key and Peele, but I'm yeah. not like head over heels about Key and Peele. I was I, I was shocked too. It was only because people I really respect kept telling me go see it, go see it, and I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go see it. But that's I, exactly why I saw it. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't, and again, I didn't think it was like going to be bad, but I was shocked at how good it was. It's a really good film, but I do think, and you know, again, this is my bias. Like I think the other major difference is what always struck me as so funny about Get Out, and I don't know if I ever said this to you, but I. I I don't know if I even said this on air, but one of the things that occurred to me after I saw it was like, what makes it even more funny is that the Bradley Whitford character in the movie in real life would love that movie. He'd be like, oh, that was such a hard-hitting interrogation. Oh, you know what? You know what I mean? I never thought about that, but that's a great point. There is a way in which it still is very much, like it's ruthlessly skewering that world, but it's kind of of that world. And my bias is, is that... When you put capitalism into play, when you make fun of, when you have a CEO character who resembles uh, people that some of these people like still actually worship in certain cultures, like uh, people still get upset when I, you know, take on Elon Musk, which is so utterly bizarre. Yeah, capitalist stands, capitalism stands are amazing. They are amazing. So to me, I think that when I watch Sorry to Bother You, in some ways, like I was like, oh, it's, I could see some people who would be totally like, like you know oh yeah get out it really gets it actually then being like oh well i think that's a little unfair to yeah no like markets do whatever i i actually think it could potentially be and again it's my bias my marxism but i think it put a lot more in play to bother people yeah and what you said is very good about how it's still of that world um get out and it kind of shows in how a lot of representation matter twitter's really wanted it to win an oscar and they wanted it so bad and my thought was okay if this thing wins an oscar it's kind of a problem because i mean even if it gets nominated it just kind of shows it's just too much um too palatable you know and so there was a part of me that i was hoping would actually get snubbed altogether uh just because um i felt that's probably the best weapon the establishment has a lot of times is when you think they're going to swerve left and condemn and ostracize something, they swerve right and actually praise it, even though it's supposed to be um, critiquing them. And then they end up kind of subverting that energy and turning it into um, something they control, you know, Um, which is what I think to a degree kind of happened. I think, um, a lot of the, I think they were blindsided by what Get Out ended up being, so they couldn't really kind of sabotage the movie um, coming out by you know not giving it attention or slamming it negatively or whatever. But once it came out, they did the opposite and praised it to the high heavens, which I think that happens a lot. Like for example, um, I think with uh, someone like Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, it feels weird every time you come here we end up talking about him and but it's not yeah, planned. people are gonna think i have an issue yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah people are gonna think it's some weird I gotta thing i tell you i just have to say just real quick tangentially like yeah i maintain my critique of ta-nehisi Coates, and i have you know just any number of political economic disagreements problems but especially in the course of doing things like researching a book on the intellectual dark web i mean it reminds you of who your enemies really are is all i can say yeah and he's not one of them He's an opponent in some ways, but he's not an enemy, if that makes sense. 
But, but like one thing I find interesting in Ta-Nehisi Coates is when he came out, I thought he was going to be a far more revolutionary voice because it was, he's kind of normalized it to a degree to talk about reparations. But when he came out talking about reparations, a mainstream piece taking reparations seriously was very uh, novel at the time. And I think when it came out, I think if the establishment really tried to, discur- to discredit him and attack him and lambast him, like, you know, mainstream mainstream centrists and liberals i think it would have really galvanized a lot of people to um really um fight for reparations more and i thought what he did that was very interesting is they just celebrated him and made him into um the toast of the town and i feel like he's never done anything even pushing the boundaries of being radical like ever again like they gave him a bunch of black panther books and had him host (laughs) black panther symposiums at the apollo and now to give him captain america to do and now he's like um kind of like a they're treating him like a ted talk celebrity now you know i think but i mean that's what he is yeah and that's nothing wrong with that but i just think i think though too like i mean i think it's what he is but i think there was a fork in the road where he could have gone either way like he wasn't that yet and yeah, they dangled so. it in front of him. Maybe and, so. Yeah. I mean, I think, though, I just also think, and, and I want to be really clear, like, I don't, you know, writing, filmmaking, art, like, I'm not saying you need to have, I like plenty of things that don't even deal with uh, anything as important as racism, right? Like, I'm so I'm not suggesting that art needs to, like, serve a purpose per se. But it is interesting to me, especially especially in relation to that certain type of white liberal perspective. And already I would say like the environment is very different because, you know, obviously like we have literal, you know, literal white supremacist nationalists running the country. But that being said, I think that like you read Ta-Nehisi Coates mostly. Okay, so even setting aside the conversation pro or con about reparations, but mostly you read Ta-Nehisi Coates or you watch um, Get Out. And again, I've got to be really clear. I think this is really important, even just some of the discomfort of that or whatever for social relations and for, for white people specifically. But it's like, what is it like? The conclusion is like, I don't know, feel guilty, like think twice before you like am i dating this black guy because i'm like essentializing him like it's all you know it's all hurt it's all like you know like mark blythe joke to me like i get it i'm a i'm a middle-aged white blah 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 blah, and i have this and that privilege or whatever and i totally get it and i apologize can i keep my money right yeah and i just think that like again get out um or you know sorry to bother you running through that whole movie is like like and there's a lot of commentary obviously like there's a whole thread on racism and performativity and all of that that runs perfectly through that movie and then there's another part that's like you know there is the other truth if you're asian white black hispanic whatever and you're working in a call center like you got to get on strike and also that the you know the kind of like mass factory slave labor thing of the future is going to disproportionately affect certain communities, but it's also going to affect everybody because that's how the economy is designed and they're coming for everybody. And so to me, when, you know, 
and I'm just projecting here, but say that same, you know, type of person, type of white person specifically who might want to like, you know, sort of do Christian repentance because it is a very like kind of Christian thing when they watch like Get Out or read Tanahasi, they see that movie, it might be confronted with like, yeah, maybe it's not good enough to like be conscious with your friends or whatever. Maybe you actually have to go out and do something, you know? Yeah. One thing would, one thing would get out though. I wonder, cause you know, you're taking like what a um, white person is supposed to get out of um, Get Out. But I wonder if the point of, get out to a degree was what a black person is supposed to get out of it because i think if you think about it in terms of that then i think there might be more usefulness out of um get out than what you describe well i'm talking i just want to be really clear i'm talking yeah. specifically of a, i'm speaking of a white audience i don't yeah. even have a theory of a black audience reaction other than i'll run this by you a certain type of relief that a certain type of experience that maybe you have on a regular basis is like put on screen if that and, makes any sense yeah yeah and there's a feeling there's a feeling like they i would call it maybe a reverse gaslighting where mm. something that maybe you made you feel you were crazy you're like okay i wasn't imagining it right you know so i think there's um yeah. that but i'm i'm hoping that i'm seeing boots Riley become like a toast of the media now and i'm hoping they don't do that same type of subversion that we uh described where they kind of defang the movie by almost over accepting it you know like i think a lot of the establishment has realized that sometimes reacting too harshly against something that's critical actually gives it more power you totally. know yeah. kind of like that whole streisand effect type of thing and i feel like they've kind of figured out that if we just um celebrate this thing we kind of not only deflect the criticism of it that applies to us because why would we we be celebrating it if we were the among the indicted? But also, it just kind of reduces it to just entertainment. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's just the the hard part about that part, right? Is like that's just going to happen all the time, no matter what. Yes, it, it's you know built into I mean? it's built like, into capitalism. They, they yeah, did it. They did it with right. the hippies. Yeah, that to me is the part that I can't even, and I don't even view in terms of like people's personal failings i just think that's literally the structure I yeah think, yeah i think as far as boots riley though as an artist specifically i think in addition i mean obviously i mean i've i started listening to the coup probably like 10 years ago yeah and i think he is obviously a very talented guy and i also think like and i want to be you know super clear i mean whatever people might still mishear this anyways i'm not it's just because it's the easiest comparison but like like I think of like getting into my like basically I didn't start doing what I did till I'm like basically like 29 or 30 and now like a couple years in like now like you know there's still way more to do but it's like yeah like you know people are watching and reading and whatever to some extent what I do and I think this like I'm like oh I'm so glad that like this wasn't happening when I was 25 as much as I would have wanted it much better at 34 right and I think like one of the advantages that somebody like Boots Riley has is like, I don't know how old he is, but I think to already be like such an established creator and artist and granted, like, of course, he's having a very different level of exposure and success, but he's already such an established, like, I'm projecting here, but honestly, just also like person. <laughs> oh, know? yeah. Like, he's an artist. He's an intellect. Like. So I think that and he, an organizer, he's he, and an organizer. So he's. Already, I didn't realize like, he had such a 
prominent organizing history. Yeah, so I just think so every time I read about him, it's it's not like of course I'm sure like it's blowing his mind and it's a new experience, but it's always very clear that he's already coming in as a very fully formed and established in himself and in his world person. So I think as far as him specifically, like him being kind of co-opted or whatever, it's a lot more difficult because he's already like very fully formed. Yeah, yeah, and the success hit him when he was older. Which well, that's what I'm definitely saying. Definitely helps. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I think that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah. think, I think especially, especially though too, because he's in that sweet spot where he was successful. You know, like, yeah. Far, it's like anybody who can make a living off of being an artist is successful, but he wasn't. But now he's getting this like mass exposure but he but it both didn't hit him too young and it also didn't go from nothing to everything yeah it was like steady state steady state success interesting contribution it's cool if you're clued into those worlds you know who he is and there's a lot of respect and interest and now there's this mass exposure but it are it comes from a place of like you know he made this film he wrote it it's smart it's brilliant it's funny uh you know i i just think I have a lot of confidence in him because of where he's at in his life and what he's already done. Yeah, one thing I like too is that he has a lot of um, stories now or explainers or things coming out of articles talking about his music. Like it's kind of retroactively led to a rediscovery of his uh, of the coup and right. the whole musical history. So I've seen all these like mixtapes pop up, playlists on Spotify, articles saying like, you know, if you like, sorry to bother you here are like the 20 best songs of the coup and stuff so i'm hoping this also leads to a um a renaissance for his musical career and both his current stuff because he's still making new music and his old stuff and that because that stuff is like uh i think pretty unambiguously radical so oh definitely yeah so i i think that will also help against any um co-opting of the movie's message um the ability for people to actually go hear his unadulterated vision in the music as well. And I think also, we also have to like, you know, it, it, it's the duality, right? Of yes, things can get co-opted and there's like the kind of like eye roll of like, Oh, well, cause it's trendy. Of course, like New York magazine and the New York times, and everything are going to write, you know, gushy profiles of, of an artist that they would have totally and did blow off for a long time but at the same time that is also like <laughs> you know this is that's also how culture moves so you know that is the opportunity for you know some 17 year old to see this really thought-provoking movie that deals with the biggest issues a lot of the biggest issues of our time and then also get exposed to an incredibly talented committed you know radical and artist uh, you know and and we can't that's like the part I think where we got to let go of some of our kind of like exclusivity kind of yeah. like good. I'm glad because every piece of, you know, ink in like those publications on Boots Riley is for somebody who's really good versus all the um, unbelievable amounts of, you know, social, cultural and political trash that they could and do focus on. Oh, yeah. Like there's this book called The Hate You Give. It's like this young adult black light. They call it the Black Lives Matter novel. And it's fucking horrible. Oh, it's so bad. I listened to the audio book. And there's a movie coming out about it, and it's just like a terrible, terrible. And but it's like it's the example of a lot of the kind of full woke trash that they kind of elevate, right? And right. stuff like this that's kind of making a mark. I really like. But let's actually talk about like the nuts and bolts of the movie, like 
plot yeah. Yeah. elements, stuff like that. Like oh, the spoilers. It's yeah, the time. spoiler stuff. Yeah, we still have done no spoilers. <laughs> no, one thing I found interesting was how a lot of I feel this movie tried to like for example, like you know, you have like a, a snowflake. Just to give an example, like snowflake or snow. It's wrong to look at snow as being a product of half temperature and half moisture because what happens with snow if you don't if you don't get the perfect conditions of moisture or temperature snow won't form like 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 it isn't like if i put a quarter of the moisture i'm going to get a quarter of the snow or whatever like it's it's you can't really separate it you can't say it's 50 50 it's they're um together like you know if you take the amount of temperature and moisture level that you need to create snow if you cut the moisture level in half you're not going to get 25 percent less snow just snow doesn't form and i feel like the same thing is with race and class i don't think you can really cleanly divide it and say this problem is 50 percent class and 50 percent race or you know it's not really they're too baked into each other they're too doing spoiler alert was that? No, I'm just messing okay. with you. I mean, I actually, real quick, I kind of, I, I disagree with that technically. Okay. And I'll explain what I mean. Yeah. I think it, one of the helpful things that I've been using, it, it, again, just like Marxist terminology is the difference between, I think it's like ex- exploitation and oppression. And they usually and often absolutely do go together in the way you're talking about. But there's also a way in which like oppression First of all, oppression on the end of things like racism and sexism and so on, not only can they coexist with economics, they can also exist outside of economics, which is the part that the people on, who focus more on the identity end are right about. On the flip side, in terms of just exploitation, in terms of like a specific economic process that basically takes stolen labor hours and turns it into profit, that could actually happen in a technical sense including to people who are extremely otherwise socially privileged, right? Like an engineer making, you know, a half a million dollars a year at Google is exploited. Their excess labor power is turned into profit and their intellectual innovations are privately, you know, privatized and gained for people who are making infinitely bigger, you know, just raw wealth than they will ever approach. So I think it's like it's on a continuum and one thing won't solve the other and they are interconnected, but there are ways in which they're in ways I actually think both sides, frankly, should appreciate because there's a way in which it's like on the identity side. No, like there's some just processes of the economy and how things work in a capitalist society that are you know, exploitative, even to the most privileged. And then on the flip side, when we also recognize that, you know, a distinct engine of oppression, we can also realize that there are some things um, that won't just be solved by dealing with the economics of it. So I, I view it like that. Well, I think one of the problems is that it's like, it's hard to tease it apart in that, for example, like someone could say, okay, um, this is like an exploitation that happens uh, regardless of um, 
privilege, but I think what also happens is that there's this risk of backsliding that I think um, a lot of black people fear more than white people in that, um, and there was that uh, Rod Shetty study that was basically a point of controversy in the New York Times. Which study? Uh, it was a study, uh, it was covered in the New York Times, it got a lot of exposure, but it was Raj Shetty, C-H-E-T-T-Y, okay. and it was talking about- at Chicago? I'm not sure, that's a good question. I mean, explain okay. the study, I'm just trying to make sure, oh, I think, I feel like I want to I know whether I've heard of him or not. But um, the study, I'll Google it as I speak, but the study was about how um, children of um, black millionaires are like way more likely to- end up incarcerated than children of white um like working class and middle class people or more likely to um more likely to end up sliding back into poverty um so it's like it's it's harder to pass along generational wealth because what will keep happening is that um Various things like uh, racism, various things related to racism and um, oppression or whatever. Uh, he's a professor of economics at Harvard University, by the way. Okay. I, I, okay. I, I found all him. Right. Yeah. Did he? All right. It doesn't matter. I'll look him up later. I feel like I might know who he is, but anyways. Yeah. But he, he only recently returned to Harvard. He was at Stanford before. I don't know if at any point he was in Chicago because he's, he's moved around. But um, I think one of the things that makes it hard is that um, like... You're a lot of things are likely to happen to you if you're poor, whether you're white poor or black poor. But then when you're black, you're also more likely to end up poor just well, by being black. So it becomes kind that of that doesn't contradict, I guess, what it is. That doesn't that's I agree with all of that. So yeah. what I'm making is like a really specifically technical point, yeah, which I think is relevant for like just setting the terms, right. So to me, like intergenerational wealth theft is more like that is obviously connected to exploitation because there's like apartheid Jim Crow going back to slavery where you're literally robbing people in a way that is not even necessarily capitalistic, right? Like it's more feudalistic or slave based. That's a difference. That's yeah. a very big difference. And you're building an economy based on just literal stolen labor not even in like because i because again in a broadest sense i think all labor is stolen right yeah but i understand the difference between and marxism understands the difference too between capitalist and feudal stolen labor and slave labor but it, to me it is all on a continuum although crucial massive and practical differences without of course but i think that it it's just the the distinction is not um it's not a moral one and it's not a false equivalency one. It's just explaining two different things so we don't reduce either of those to the same category when they're explaining different things at different times, right? Yeah, you I see mean, what I'm saying? I mean, I think you can explain both of them and you need to define both of them. Like, all I'm saying is, I think it's very hard. What I'm saying, I might not uh, be clear, is that it's, what a lot of people try and do, I feel... And I feel like a lot of people in responding to this movie are kind of doing it. They're like, this movie is about 75% race and 25% class. Or 75% class, 
and 25 and what i'm trying to say is not saying that one is particularly more important than the other but it's kind of that they're inextricable you can't um i think it's the wrong way of looking at the movie i think the movie is just about exploitation and oppression in general and i think yeah the mistake a lot of people are trying to make is trying to break down like a recipe, how much of it is class, ah, how much of it... Okay. I, th I think maybe I wasn't being clear in what I was saying before. No, I thought you were opening a really big, interesting point. But I think in terms of the movie, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. I, I was talking more specifically about the movie. But I think it also goes into the larger context, too. Like, too many people want to spend time fighting over whether the oppression in question is uh, racial or class-based when I think it's unavoidably both at any given time. You know, kind of like... A snowflake is always a product of moisture and and um, temperature, like always. Like you cannot have snow that's just came from moisture or snow that just came from temperature. I feel like in a capitalist, um, integrated like postmodern society, there's always going to be race and class together, and there'll never be a pure racial problem or a pure class-based problem. I think in terms of like real life, which is crucial yeah. you're totally Mess right yeah but i think theoretically we can yeah. help both because even for me like one of the biggest problems in the, oh, oh, in the yeah, united but, states but, oh, hold on let me yeah. say this real quick i think it's good to understand both concepts like for example you can't even to get to the point where you say a snowflake is always both moisture and temperature you have to have a full understanding of what moisture is theoretically and what temperature is theoretically to even make that statement and I feel like that's what, you, that's what you're going to say about class and well, no, race. It's that's part of what I'm going to say. Okay. And I'm also just the only other thing I'm going to say, and I know you're not doing this, but yeah. I think a lot of people also make like, because America is so, like capitalism is so in-baked and it's so identity-based, when you talk to most people about class, they mean like, oh, you're talking about like, you know, you drink Budweiser instead of wine, or like, you know what I mean? Like, they think oh, that's, that's it, very they true. Think of, a, a lot they, of people reduce class to an identity. They think of it as another identity cat, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. The way, and for my, and this is where I am very, really am, I do read things Marxist perspective. Class, like the functionality of exploitation in a technical sense, and my understanding of class, even though obviously there's divisions in class. It's a, it's like literally a technical function. It's not an identity. So somebody yeah. could be, you know, and that because also conservatives love that shit because you know like conservatives are like well you know, class isn't just about economics. It's also social capital. So somebody could be like you know starving to death, but they listen to NPR and they read books. Yeah, and you know what I mean. And so I'm like, no, I'm talking about a functionality where your labor is literally exploited to create profit. And that happens to, you know, third generation Puerto Rican, like, you know, restaurant manager. And it happens to a college professor who's Jewish or whatever, you know, that's the part where it's just like, it's not to reduce everything to that. Cause that doesn't explain everything at all, but it does allow us to be like, this is like another axis where activity is happening on. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think we're saying anything different as yeah, far no, as that. Because yeah, yeah. I do think you need to have... same. I mean, the same thing goes each way. You, you have to understand a lot of the theory and um, work that's been done in understanding racism. And you have to understand a lot of the theory and work that's been done in decades or hundreds of years of class analysis. You know, I just think what ends up happening is you have people, many of whom 
actually don't do the theory in either. Don't really understand um, either. <laughs> right. Who just want to go and just break things down into um, these kind of component parts and say, okay, this proves my... Because this, this is what I'm saying with... Uh, sorry to bother you, but I find it interesting. Is that there's people who have been praising the movie, but one group will say, wow, if you think, um, you know, it's all about class or whatever, you should check out Sorry I Bother You. It's a great commentary on race. As if they just totally, like, omitted or ignored, like, the class aspects. But I've also seen some people contact me and goes, wasn't that movie great? Like, it was great for showing that race doesn't um, matter. And I'm like, I feel like both sides. Somebody literally write that to you? Yeah, yeah. Someone actually like um said said that like both both um the latter someone actually wrote to me, the former I saw somebody who wasn't writing to me say about this was a great race movie talking about uh, race analysis and it was like a white liberal saying and I feel like the white liberal was saying because this is a movie by a black person, starring black people, they must be talking about race and well that's kind another, of wasn't crediting well that's another big right that's a big fucking liberal white mishap all the time yeah because it's all, i think the other thing too that was effective about that movie is i think there's it's a super fine line because it's like okay there's like the classic you know conservative whatever like you know the stephen colbert like i don't see race right like that nonsense and then it obscures realities by pretending they don't exist but then there's also just like there is the other there is the it's a better position, but it's still a flawed position where it's like, well, the only metric by which I can process anything that comes out of, say, a black artist is race. And yeah. That movie, yeah, to me, like, you're I mean, right, I, you're right. It, I it also think seamless. it's a metric. I also think it's a metric that the person only feels they can um, accept a black person's art by. But I also think part of it, think they think, wow, class stuff is actually, like, hard for smart people. That's yeah. like economics things that you know you have to be educated or like um you know whatever to understand but race you just have to be black so i feel like there's also kind of a um underestimation of black intellect yeah especially if the guy's a rapper you know so i think that might be part of it too like trouble understanding he's an intellectual yeah who can actually do a real class-based um analysis not just um talk about his feelings about uh race right well that's i think that's the other thing i wanted to hit in this movie because and maybe i'll just throw some spoilers in here yeah yeah teasing them so it's like okay so this guy is really down on his luck he's living in his uncle's garage his uncle's about to get evicted so he's gonna or or get his home repossessed foreclosed on excuse me so he is gonna lose his space he gets um a job at a call center. Danny Glover is there who basically tells him, like, you got to use your white voice. And it's a very funny scene because he explicitly explains it. He specifically, like, it isn't just, like, do a deaf comedy jam voice. It's a very specific, like, uh, not a care in the world kind of, like, which is interesting because the way, even that actually was a very elegant synthesis of class and race, by the way. Yeah, like the way they explain what the white voice is, it isn't just white. There's other stuff going on with that, but um, and then he gets to the top of the ladder, and then through the process of getting top of the ladder, gets lured into a meeting with the CEO of this company called Worry Free, which is ads are all over television, and uh, basically Worry Free is like, you know, they're 
disrupting the labor market and what they're essentially doing is creating slave labor for uh, America's underclass to be like pawned off the corporations and then and the plot twist is and guys this is the real kicker here so don't freak out there's also a high a program where they're getting turned into horses uh to provide like even more brute manual labor and what but and the reason i just kind of lay it all out there is because they hit each of those points really well and i also wonder like if the reactions to it are either oh this is just about race or this is just about class it also just shows how dumbed down culture's gotten across the board. Yeah. To me, like, what made that movie successful is that it's it's actually, first of all, it's kind of a love story. It's also about, um, you know, working people who are fucking dealing with it. It's also about frustrated artists and intellectuals who don't have resources to do what they want. That's his definitely his girlfriend role. And I feel like even the main character himself. And it's also absolutely about racism. And I would say, you know, I read it bluntly, like not in any way reductive, but I do think like it was unmistakable that Bruce Wiley is a communist when you watch it. Like I yeah. think he looks at like capitalism as the overarching kind of like backdrop to all of this. But the movie is all of those things. It's a love story. It's a race story. It's a capitalism story. It's a surrealism story. And yeah, anybody I, who's trying to reduce it is to just one or the not other. able to watch yeah, it. Exactly. Because I feel like it was constantly trying to interweave both all the time in a way that... Um, made it hard to separate but some people just want to do that and kind of score kind of take points and like you know keep score but i thought was interesting was though i felt it was talking about like exploitation but it made the exploitation like across racial barriers you know it had all types of people in the call center and it had a lot of people in the power caller center up in the top like it wasn't just nothing but black people using the white voice i, I mean it was um but what's interesting but was, that's the marks yeah, and then yeah. the, and then the racism is you got to use the white voice yeah yeah but also what i think what the subtle ways those are like ways where every single element had a racial aspect and a class aspect that blended together in a way that was hard to separate because in the call center part there were a lot more black or different minority people in the bottom call center part and when you got to the top part it was a lot more overwhelmingly white, which is, you know, kind of shows like yeah. um, how black people can be kind of over overrepresented on on the bottom rung of um, capitalism. But what I thought was really interesting was um, the degree to which the horses, to me, well, two things I found really interesting. One was I could not figure out what he was trying to say about the girlfriend because I felt like the girlfriend was there to represent a certain type of hypocrisy that happens when you're an artist. Like a lot of artists think they're kind of above the game or above the system, but she's still twirling signs around, um, you know, for a job, you know, like, like she's, she's still got skin in the game. She still takes a job at the call center. Like she's still taking part of capitalism. Um, and she's above going to the power carter center and she judges him for using the so-called um, white voice but at her gallery show she puts on a british voice uh she puts right. on a british accent 
And I, I was very interested in that. Like, what was he trying to say about art? Like, what was he trying to say? I think he was trying to make a commentary about how art kind of becomes commerce too. And a lot of people, by buying into the trappings of bohemianism and the trappings of, you know, I'm an artist, they kind of delude themselves about the degree to which they're buying into or propagating the same like dynamics. Like, for example, her show had a supposed message to it, but she strips naked for it um, and gets debased with a whole bunch of fluids and basically gets... Um, uh, she gives the audience an opportunity to debase her for their entertainment or, you know, she ends up covered in all types of fluids and whatever. And there's something almost pornographic about it. Cause that's what happens at the end of watching a porno. Like you get to watch this woman, like debase herself naked. And when it's all done, uh, you don't really care what she was talking about for the whole m- movie. Like no one knows about the plot of a porno. Nobody cares. People just care that at the end, she's been sufficiently humiliated. I'm just too busy from real sex. I'll take your word for it, but it's just not something I know. Yeah, I've only heard about this from textbooks. I, right, I, right, I took, right, I t- right. Yeah, we do, because that's not part of the Nambla way. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nambla doesn't believe in this. I, no, I read this in highbrow um, sex work literature. That's, about what, Zizek, what, happens that's in- what Zizek does all the time. He's like, <laughs> I am told that that is a porno where there are two dicks and the woman is and you're just like dude it's, uh, two it's cups right. fucking there are two girls and right. one cup right right uh, two girls there's one cup which is our condition <laughs> no i think you're told i actually read i read it really similarly although i guess i have a little bit more sympathy to her because she was actually you know they, there was that kind of like i mean she did first of all she did go out and strike which is obviously the area where he thinks is most important but also there's that other kind of that sort of like the graffiti more kind of like wto anarchist style like you know people wearing masks and like defacing the advertising that like more kind of ad busters thing which yeah i would assume as a you know marxist he might have a little bit more skepticism of that kind of culture jamming stuff but nonetheless it still was whatever the critique like that's still being on the side of people that recognized what was happening and put themselves physically on the line so i think i kind of read her like i read her in a way that because i read her as well-intentioned but not self-aware enough yeah to really transcend the system to the degree that she wanted to believe that she did i think she i I do think she was well-intentioned i think think she she was a well-intentioned person i think she was a good person but i also think that that he did that really i think they did that kind of across the board like even the fucking ultimate like evil ceo guy he had his self justifications and i think that they did a job like and also like the guy who's the organizer at the call center, right? Like the point of the movie is definitely that like, essentially he's right. Like, yeah, people need to strike, but he also was like, you know, trying to like fuck his girl. And it wasn't like, I was curious. I was curious about that. What did you think the point of that was? I feel like I, my read, and this could just be my bias, but my read across the board was to really be like, none of these people are perfect. And human beings don't need to be heroic or perfect to deserve justice and dignity. Oh, that that's, was kind that's of my read. That oh, was kind of my okay, read. Okay, that's good because I was kind of lost myself on what the point of the cheating subplot 
actually was because i felt like it didn't go anywhere but what you're saying kind of makes no i just think it was kind of like yeah this dude is right he sees it he's trying to put it together and he's also kind of like you know he's just also trying to like like most men he's a little low and he's got you know and fuck other men he's trying to get some pussy and that's just he's a little sexual opportunist yeah and it doesn't and it and it brings him in that case kind of you know sadly down to earth but it also doesn't undermine the fact that he's a good leader and he's right about the situation i, I don't know that's kind of how i read it yeah i think uh, they were all human they're all yeah flawed. yeah yeah exactly and i like i was interested in what he was trying to say about her flaws because i feel like cash's flaws were kind of more easy to understand you know he's just a striver he uh is selling out for money and whatever but i was really interested in hers and her art show really um intrigued me like the kind of um the way she that kind of debased herself i thought was very uh interesting and but that she kind of made it seem elevated like you know right by because she's saying all this um she gives this message and she has this speech that she's doing but everybody there is clearly just there to see like the naked black girl get um fluids thrown all over right. her and be ignored and stuff and even if they didn't know that's why yeah exactly they might not have been consciously aware of it but i also wonder to what level she was consciously aware of what she was buying into uh, or what she was selling like you know like uh it, it was it was interesting it, no and it was a good flip too because that's also the part in the movie where he's like the most like you know he's like the most giving in fully to like you know, being a quote-unquote villain. Yeah. And he's completely, you know, and he's got the new car and he's going to do whatever. But then he's also the only, but then conversely, oh, you know, here's like an art crowd and they're all worried about what's really happening and blah, blah, blah. But then he's the only one to just be like, dude, like you're, you can't fucking throw batteries at her. Like what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, like, ironically, he's, even though he's the supposedly most corporate and capitalist and whatever. He's the most righteous. Yeah, yeah, he's the one who sees yeah. the in, inhumanity in that art show, that in, in the debasement in it, in the way that she can't see. Like they kind of both see each other's uh, hypocrisy, but they're not able to communicate it to I each think, other. Yeah, I think you hit, and I think that's another reinforcement of that. It's like it's human, and it's yeah. a, and it's a love story, and they're caught. But you know, I think for as I mean, also maybe part of it's just the acting job, but I just think like as flawed as he is, even just that dude's face is just so like i haven't it's very expressive i haven't seen a single role where i didn't really feel for him yeah and partially it's because he usually does play characters that you're supposed to have some empathy for but it's also just he's just a i don't know what i don't know the right word for it but i just you just feel for him and also i think unless you're on a you know i think i think it would also and this is actually where i would say class is an identity but i think that if for me, I read it from like a background of having experiences in life of understanding what it's like to like lose homes and this type of thing. I, you know, it's like I knew it wasn't in the big picture the right decision and he was self justifying himself. But I also like, if you didn't understand why he would made the moves he made, you're really deluded or so overly privileged that you don't know what life is like. Yeah. Right. So even, so I found his fuck ups incredibly understandable yeah they're very relatable i mean i mean i mean how many of us wouldn't be tempted by and i think anybody who would tell you they wouldn't be is either delusional or lying i'll be honest when i was watching it i was looking and i was telling myself stuff like oh yeah i could do that but i would 
fuck the game up from the inside. I will take the money and funnel it, this and that. And I think what they made a good point of showing is, even if that's what he wanted to do, it wasn't going to work because what happened at that party, like it's it's made to compromise you. They know that a lot of people think they can do that. And they make sure they structure it so that the goodies are too good. The um, What you have to sell. Like it was interesting how they were interested in making him do drugs, have sex. Like they kind of want to make you compromise yourself in such a way that if we're going to give you the keys to the kingdom, you're going to have to have skin in the game. You're going to have to be, they want mutually assured destruction. Did you ever see Serpico? Uh, yes. Right. That's one of my favorite movies. And that scene, cause, and for people who haven't seen it, like it's a true story. And essentially like it's in the seventies in New York. And, and I think they, I think there are actually numbers that were established. Like even like over 50% of NYPD was like on the take at some point at that point in the, in the city. Right. Like, and not again, I'm not even getting into all the other issues of policing. I mean like literally getting hand off from drugs dealers. Right. And I'm, and of course like that still happens, but not at the same rate. And there's that scene where and he just won't do it. Right. He's just not with, I mean, on any number of levels, he's kind of like a hippie. So, like, yeah, there's really no place for him. Like, he's not racist. He's not into police brutality. <laughs> you almost wonder he why won't. he became a cop. Like, yeah, you very, really do. Yeah. Well, 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 you did because he's like the one in the million that really is just like, oh, I want to do people. this to like help people out. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that yeah. does exist. Yeah. And there's that scene where he's like with his this narcotics unit, and they're all on the take, and they're just like. Basically, they're literally telling him in the park, like, we don't feel comfortable. Like, they're we, we don't feel comfortable him, if you're not on the take with yeah, us. And they're, and they're saying, like, you can give it to charity. You can give it, like, we get it. You're a nice guy. You don't want to do this, whatever. So just give it away. Don't keep but it, you, but you have to take it. But you cannot be out with us if you're not doing this. You got to have dirty hands. You yeah. got to have skin in the game. Yeah. You know, it's a good fictional example of that is uh, the movie Training Day. The very first right. thing Denzel tries to do is make him smoke those drugs and get the drugs in the system because he's like, I'm not going to bring you into this corrupt world and let you stay clean and turn on me later. I want mutually assured destruction. So then later when he wants to turn him in, he's like, what's going to happen with all those drugs you have in your system? Like, you know, it's very... Right. And I think that movie was a good exa example of that in um, Sorry to Bother You, how when the first thing they do when they bring him there, they want to get him to like... Uh, have sex with all these like um, trophy cokehead girls. They want yeah. to do an orgy yeah. right away. Yep. They yep. want to give him uh, drugs, and you know, they, like that's I think is. And it's also that great flip that they played with too, because it's sort of like the that really to me. I read that really racially too, because that yeah. was it was sort of like, well, you need to prove that like you're a totally safe, you know, performative, like, yeah, non-threatening black guy, but then. The once we open up then all the now but we also want you to be a thug and we want you to fuck and we want you to rap and we like we want you to prove that you'll completely emasculate yourself and submit to us yeah but then once that's fully established then you want then we also want to get some like vicarious gangster thrills through you yeah they hit that really well that was really disgusting yeah exactly that's what i mean like it's so crazy to me that anybody can see it as just racial or class because it was Everything just seemed to be very well meshed together and and 
seems to be, it seems to be always be talking to both at once in a way that I thought was very nuanced. And like one thing I like too, I thought it was great that they used the horse people because I think the horse people were a great like um, analog to like um, what black people must have seemed like to white people in yep. slave times or right after slavery where, because I think people are used to at least thinking of black people or pretending to think of black people. Like people know how to supposed to think about black people. Like it's not as easy to like, you know, your cues, you're not supposed to dehumanize uh, black people, view them as less than human, but creating this whole fake race of horse people, yeah. I think made it way easier for the audience. And even if you're a black person, in the audience yourself, I can see a black person, in the audience saying, Oh, well they're just horse people. What is What does it matter? Like, I think they did a good job of explaining how, capitalism demands dehumanizing of um the workers or the exploited class in order to it reaches a point where to get full exploitation you have to dehumanize because when you allow someone to remain human in your view you're never able to fully exploit them as you can like even like the worst people in the world like the biggest sociopaths and serial killers they have to have a mechanism in them that allows them to see their victims as less than human to do the shit that they do like it's very hard i think that's yeah i think that's totally true yeah and i like that they made that conflict like literal by making um horse people you know like um and And once again i would just and once again yeah it's like and that's highly racialized and also they definitely like you know the ads for worry free were definitely like broadly racially distributed because the the flip is that literally i mean particularly that's the irony i think what's very very dangerous there's a potential opportunity in it but what's very dangerous about the time and the economy we're in right now is like the the really brutal exploitation of the future not more yeah. privileged exploitation is continuing to be an accelerated and already is highly broadly racially distributed because that's just how it's designed and implemented and that's what global competition is right now right yeah and and then i think what and i'm not and this is where and this is there's no ethical judgment about this this is this is just to me like one of the other sort of to me dead ends with a certain type of just pure identity politics without economics is that if your only presentation of politics is that it's just about specific groups with specific histories and specific realities that's all by the way totally true but the problem is is that like and we're seeing like i i think this is where it's like a, a enough white people will be like oh okay well if that's the case where's my group and you know and i think it, what's disturbing is that some of these like alt-right type people are actually accurately reading that the pie is getting smaller and smaller the opportunities are shrinking and if they want to preserve that privilege in any way shape and form even as a lot of it's diminishing they need to look at apartheid style scenarios so it's like that that is where it's like it, it to me again it's it, it's my politics and it's also just literally where it's like I think there's a chance if there's some broad-based struggles around things like economics, because I think that can actually win. Yeah, <laughs> it isn't like to me. It's also just super practical. Like I could see people building 
across those divisions. And I also think that that's also where we need to get really specific about American history because obviously there's endless examples of like those cross-racial coalitions not happening because of white racism. But there also is actually opportunity examples like I did an illicit history on, I think it was Wilmington, North Carolina, and it actually proved both cases. There was a post-reconstruction multiracial government that was delivering for poor whites and for free blacks, and they were actually doing things. And then the factory owners literally funded a white supremacist coup and slaughtered people and canceled it. But that proves all three cases to me. It's like the broad baseness can actually happen. This isn't static or metaphysical. And the capital class will always oppose that. And one of the most potent you know, weapons they have in their arsenal is white racism. Yeah, but but I also think sometimes people kind of make the mistake of taking away the agency of um, the white working class as far as their susceptibility to that type of exploitation. Because I know a lot of people tell me, oh, um, it's not about race. It's about class and the powers that be are pitting us against each other. But I do think a problem that gets understated, which I think is what keeps a lot of uh, black people from fully coming on board is, I feel like, first off, I feel like those elites are an abstraction to the average black person, as in a lot of the average black people who are like working class or lower middle class or poor don't really see a robber baron or ever see like the person that owns the company that they're working for, but they'll see their immediate overseer. They'll see like their white working class neighbor that they share a community with. So I think sometimes it's harder to tell them, like you can tell them, Hey, the, um, this is the person that's really behind your problems. Not this other person who's at your class level, but the person who's like maybe, uh, terrorizing them or treating them bad at work or, shutting them out of the important positions in the union is the white working class guy. And I feel like when they hear people talk about how the power structure is pitting, um, like in the case of the reconstruction thing, um, funding white supremacists and undoing the coalition, all they really see is the white person letting them, letting their racism be exploited by the people, but they don't actually get to actually conceive in any tangible form that higher up person like white racism to them kind of becomes in a visceral sense this person who who they see is having in a more immediate way like their foot on their neck you know what i mean like um, i mean that makes sense to me um although i do wonder i mean i guess my perception is that everybody across the board has some basic sense of like you know literally the person that writes their paychecks you know no i think i think that's in an intellectual sense i'm talking about no i understand in a visceral sense if somebody's literally physically harming you on like of course uh, that makes total sense to me the only the only really honestly the only pushback i have on that is i do think and i really fucking it i'm just the phrase is both laudatory frankly from people on my side and also from people on the more Although, you know, it's funny, like, I don't I don't necessarily see this contradiction between my understanding and also understanding identity politics, but whatever, for the sake of this conversation, say there's this debate. 
I think that the white working class as a term has been really abused by everybody. Because I think that, like, first of all, look, the reality is, is that the Trump base and the modern white supremacist base is suburban and relatively affluent. Yes. Most white working class, whatever, they don't vote like most other low-income people. And I guess when I think of the working class, I don't, I mean, as a practical matter, if there's, you know, a problem in organizing something because of racism or sexism or anything else that needs to be addressed and dealt with. But I think of like, especially from that lens, I think of like the working class. I yeah. think that there is absolutely, and that's also where I would push back against some people with a very identity focus because I absolutely think that like, yeah, there's conditions in terms of labor, wages, housing that absolutely cuts across racial lines. And it's about, that is about economics. And I don't, I find people, I find that there's some people who have like a mythical idea and they romanticize the white working class actually in a way that's very funnily to me because I find it actually very analogous to the same way that like, you know, some odd liberals kind of like romanticize people of color. Like it's not human. It's not real. It's very essentialist. Yeah. And then I think that there's people on the identity tip who love the idea of like, you know, even in recently in Majority Report, we did an interview with a, a woman who wrote the uh, like a definitive history of like different waves of clan activity. And one of the things that she was saying is like, it's a really big misunderstanding to think of the clan historically as like a low class phenomenon. Yeah. It was very white, very affluent, obviously very white, but it was very affluent, it was very middle class. And I think that I don't I'm just like kind of fed up with both sides of the white working class trope. I think there's a working class that is white, that's Hispanic, that's black across the board and it's extremely exploited and actually in some cases even across the board even white people I think, I think that was you know good about, I, mean? I think that was good in the movie too yeah, like, that, that, that call center they did a good job of uh, cap capturing that cross section yeah because I, and I will say too that I will say anecdotally to be honest with you when I encounter like the most really profoundly fucked up racial shit and grin this is anecdotal that I have heard is from affluent suburban whites who lean Republican. Working class whites who I've talked to, you know, look, to be blunt, maybe, yeah, they're probably tired of 50, like, fucking boring NPR segments about their white privilege. Yeah, they're probably not into that. They might, you know, not use the most woke terminology, but I have never heard, again, in my experience, any, like, but I've also heard them be like, yeah, but, you know, like, black people have a legitimate complaint because Trump and Sessions are fucking racist. And like, you know, like a just kind of like, again, might not be the most woke or whatever the fuck, but a pretty workmanlike, decent understanding of that stuff. And the real like, oh, well, maybe if they don't want to be fucking murdered by police, pull your pants up. That's 100K Republican voters. Like that really is where I hear that from. And I think the See, polling kind of bears that out. That I'm not sure about as far as I don't know which one is more likely to say the um pull your pants up thing but what i will say is this even if again i'm just just to be clear i'm being super anecdotal, anecdotal but no, i have no, heard it yeah that, it, that tracks with my anecdotal That's yeah no 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 i'm yeah. not saying it's right or wrong yeah, yeah, yeah. what i'm saying is even if it is right i just think a lot of black people are just not in the space to hear the affluent whites say that right so what right, happens right. is their personal visceral 
experience of racism will be that um, so-called white working class guy, even if he's saying it less, is what they're more exposed to. Right. But what's their view of a white affluent person? It's a NPR host. It's a character. <laughs> that is on, so true. It's a character on a movie. That's so smart. So I think we're all like liberal and trying to be nice or whatever. Y- yeah, it's like an episode of The West Wing. Like, like, right. like a lot of times you don't really see that bad side of them because you're not personally involved with them and they control their own image. Like, you know, because yeah. even on TV, those people will make the white working class people the racist in their movies, in whatever. So I think, like, for example, like, um, that's why I think what the beauty of Get Out was, was it's kind of a wake-up call about how that character thinks he's entering a place of enlightenment and he's discovering these people... He's discovering what you what you mentioned. Like these people are as racist, if not more racist, than um, any other type of. White, uh, so and again, white not person. to like not to do like the reverse romanticization, but yeah. it's like I think, especially from the perspective of like Hollywood and what's been represented, like yeah, there's a gazillion movies where it's like, well, you ain't from around here, boy. Yeah, yeah. But in real life, it might be a guy who, again, like yeah, they might have any number of unwoke whatever, but they might be like, hey, you need a cigarette. You know the directions to the store that way. Yeah, that's also very real. Yeah, yeah. You know? or, or they might not say anything to you. They or might, they might just be the get on with their lives. They, they, they might not say. <laughs> yeah. They might not say anything to you. They might say, um, "Are you lost?" Which is a loaded thing. You yeah. know, they need any help with directions, and then they'll give you directions, and after you leave, they'll call the cops. Then the cops right. will show up, but you might not make the connection between this cop bothering you and that. Uh upper class white guy who seemed to be innocently asking you if you needed help you know 100 percent. and then as i say though like on the flip side again and this is so anic like you know this is it's just too anecdotal but it's like I, i've i think also because of the other thing that you're talking about which is basically just having like human interaction like the ability of like a more like working class type white guy who again might have any number of bad things to say but yeah be like oh those kids aren't doing anything because I know what I'm talking about. Like I observe human dynamics and like, they don't need to be bothered, whatever. You know what I mean? Cause they're not like cloistered off from interactions with anybody that isn't an affluent white person essentially. So I just, I think the whole like white working class thing, like, as I say, if it's a practical matter, like if somebody's like, Hey, I'm trying to organize this union and there's a problem because you know people won't like they don't want to collaborate with uh, Mexican workers. Okay, like that's a real problem. But as far as like the discourse we do, as I say, I feel like there's, you know, there's this kind of like white working class romanticization, which I feel like again is a product. It's just the flip. It's just like another version of not having real life interaction. Yeah. And then I think there's this real effort amongst us definitely i will say like the pseudo woke identitarian to be like you know demonize some, yeah, the white demon, working class and, and, yeah and even in ways by the way that even for me actually sometimes get legitimately morally disgusting like when yeah. i saw like twitter accounts being like oh you know i just saw a homeless white person hey what a loser you have no excuse for your white yeah homelessness side yeah i've seen that's, that that's more that's not only immoral it's economically illiterate it's stupid it's really disgusting and i just think people I, that's why i don't use like i don't really use white working class as a formulation unless i'm pushing back unless i have to be like well actually 
you know, as in, some, as in, as in somebody's already talking, as yeah. in somebody's already talking about white working yeah. class, and you're kind of responding to their frame. I'll complicate it with the yeah. actual polling data and the reality that, like, actually, a lot of them do vote Democratic, a lot of them don't vote, blah, blah, blah. And actually, we're talking about much more of an affluent suburban problem. But I just, yeah, I just think it's a, I think that trope is, is, is not helpful either way. And, and one thing that, this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll let you give your last thoughts on the movie. The one thing I liked about the movie a lot by using the horse people, and this kind of relates to what I was saying before, is I like the idea that when they revealed the horse people were being slaves, nobody cared. I thought that was a very great Brilliant. twist because it made you think about what it must have been like for a lot of people during the early days of slavery, as in the, the horse people by being visibly to them not human anymore being sufficiently dehumanized because they were once human but they've been made to be unrecognizable as humans um is by becoming that it became a lot easier for people to reconcile them as being slaves and it made me realize in the early days of this country like black people were the horse people like yeah they were foreign looking enough to um white people to effectively be as inhuman as as the horse people and i thought by making the horse people it was a very good allegory for the level of um it was the dehumanization of black people that had to happen in order to maximize exploitation in the form of slavery made literal in the narrative by they literally dehumanized these uh people and one thing i liked was when um this guy cash who is basically a modern day version of an abolitionist freeing these horse people when the horse people get free he's talking to them like they're children or aliens and that the was horse, so good yes and the horse has to remind him no i'm human i'm from compton i had a life before I was dehumanized into a horse. Yeah, so like, I'm Bob, dude. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was perfect. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it kind of makes you yeah. think like, you know, these, Whatever, Af these, these, these people before they were black slaves, they were Africans. Like, you know, in I was a father, a husband, a daughter, a son back in where I was from before I became um, this slave, you know, this N-word. Like, I was a human at one point. Like, don't forget that. We know which is true. Like, you can... A lot of people who can do the right thing on paper can still buy into the dehumanization or forget that, you know, the humanity of even the people that they're fighting for. I thought that was another nice um, touch in the in the movie that they used to be humans. They weren't incubated from a test tube or something. It was a no, I think that was perfect. I think yeah. that's the big lesson. And I also just kind of I also thought it was like something to do with like just basically also about today too because it's like we observe i mean even like it's not a direct comparison but like you know we know is and it's not going to be solved by our own personal consumption product you know the choices but like you know we know that our iphones are fuel um you know some of the worst wars happening in the world today in congo over minerals and then we know they're assembled in chinese sweatshops like we know all of this disgusting stuff about supply chain and not only don't we do anything about it, we then like praise CEOs for innovating. And yep. so not only did people ignore it 
it was like the CEO got, you know, he got to ring the bell on Wall Street because this is the next disruption. And I think it really captured that kind of like, also partially, maybe it's a little more sympathetic. I, I don't know, but like just the way in which it's like, it's all so bad that like, fuck it. Like, might as well buy into all of the lies and the nonsense about this because what else are you going to do? And of course, the answer is that is uh, go on a strike, which is why it's a good movie. Yeah. I, I think one way people get over that dehumanization, I mean, that, yeah. that expectation of people is I think there's two ways and you just touched on them. One is, I think the movie touched on both of them too. One is to render the people invisible. Like, yep. so when the people are a foreign sweatshop or locked in a, dark basement so you actually can't see them like you can't see how the sausage is made right you know? which is what that company was kind of doing at first they were kind of having a hidden um slave thing you know where they kind of put it out of sight but if you're going to have them visible then have them not be human and then that way you can see them but they're um dehumanized i thought the movie did a good job of doing uh both and i yeah you know, like uh, if you, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, if you have to have them uh, visible, then make sure that they're easy to dehumanize. But it's even better if you can have them not visible at all. Like they try to do both: have them dehumanized and not be visible. But if you dehumanize them enough, even visibility is not going to matter, and that kind of tracks back to um, slavery. But that's you have, totally true. Yeah. Do you have any final points? I think I've said everything. I no, did. I think that was no. I think it was a great movie. I, the other thing, it was funny too that like what hit me on the flip side, and maybe it's just because of our conversation before about like going vegetarian a little bit. Which yeah. You are not me. You're way ahead of me on that. But it's like what was also funny to me with the horse thing was like obviously it hark it harkened back to slavery and dehumanization and racism, and it was like the fact that this could fit so easily, like. I could totally picture, you know, an Elon Musk, you know, quote unquote, innovating something like that. Right. Like, I don't think we're that many years off from that. But yeah. then on the flip, but then what's so fucked up and amazing to me is like that if anything, like on the flip side in our society in terms of like where like the science of like experience and sentient beings is going, it would actually be like in the opposite direction where we'd start to realize like not only have we like totally dehumanized and destroyed our fellow humans, we're, we, it's actually probably pretty morally unacceptable the way we treat animals. Yeah. Yeah. So like true. if we were actually going like in the other direction, it would be like, not only like we would have been like gotten past dehumanization and started being like, wait, we can't like, hold like chickens and cows in these like torture factories where we like for god knows torture how long. them and destroy the environment and kill our health like that was the other thing that just kind of hit me it was like right like before we could even get basic sanity enough in our own human relations and then start dealing with animal torture we're just gonna like innovate fake animals that are humans to torture more animals that's great i have some <laughs> I, I have some questions right yeah um one thing I find interesting, why was he going to go back to work for those people in the call center? That was one thing that confused me because I, I think he was I think it was not about I think it was about getting back to join the union. Yeah, getting back March. to join the union. Yeah, I think that's what it was about. But I felt kind of weird that anybody would want to work there after what happened because it was interesting like he became a union organizer or whatever, but it took him being turned into a horse to finally storm that guy's um house. True. And I find that kind of interesting. I don't know if that was 
sloppy on Boots' part, or that was deliberate commentary? I think that was deliberate. Yeah, yeah, because once he became a horse, suddenly, like, being a union organizer was not enough. Like, now he joins the other horses and just wants to storm the castle and overthrow. But Well, I think that's the, I mean, to me, that was, like, also the Marxism of it, right? That was, that was the, that was Boots's, like, that's when you listen to, like, Guillotine and 100 100 Ways to Kill a CEO, because... To me, that was the part where it was like, oh, you've literally turned me into a horse. Well, you know what? We're through, like, because even, even union and strike is actually still within the realm of, like, there's some process of accountability. But now it's just like, no, we're just going to go in your house and fucking kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is like a response in kinds, right? Yeah, and I yeah. think I think that's kind of maybe what Boots was trying to say is, I yeah, think it was. yeah. You can try to work within the system, but eventually it's going to be unavoidable. Uh, there's going to have to be an actual, like, real uprising or a real overthrow of the system to uh, really make a real change. And even if it isn't, like, you know, I mean, because it's funny, like, I don't, like, reality is, like, yeah, I don't, I think, especially even just the way we're situated historically and socially, like, yeah. it isn't going to be some type of violent mass uprising. It's just not even structural, even ethics or whatever aside, it's just not structurally where we're at. But on the flip side, like there's no scenario, even ironically, even one that's just a social democratic one where like people's, where things aren't expropriated. Because you just can't have a society where there's that level of wealth concentrated in so few hands. It's impossible. You cannot have any type of actual democracy or healthy society where that's the case. So I think in the end, whether you were interpreting it as violent uprising or whatever, the point being that at the end of the day, in addition, I don't think you, I think he was totally very, I think strikes and union organizing was very important in the movie and he was very favorable towards that. And he wants, you know, we've read, I've read interviews with him where he's like, yeah, people need to strike. Yeah. But I think there also was like, yeah, like, also, you need to get the fuck out of your house, dude, because like you built a fortune on exploitation and impression, both, and uh, we're gonna take that shit back. Sorry. Yeah, and I think yeah, and I think uh, it's kind of a warning to the powers that be, which is what I think you were kind of getting at, as in you can't keep um, fucking with people and expect um, not to eventually like pay like uh, the ultimate price. And I think, right, you know, it was it was. It was an interesting movie, and I really, I have not read a lot of think pieces on it yet because I kind of wanted to form my own thoughts and then compare them to other people, so I didn't want to be influenced before doing um, this episode, but I'm going to be reading a lot of uh, think pieces on it, and if anybody has any particular good ones that they think are worth sharing, please feel free to send them. Um, I'm done. I'll let you have any final thoughts that you want to... No, it's just great to be back on uh, Champagne Sharks, and it's great to <laughs> to launch the Nambler movement. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Nambler, Nambler for life, and uh, <laughs> keeping it real. I'm I'm gonna make the shirts, and I and you know if anybody <laughs> gives you any grief over the shirt, it's their problem That's for right. not knowing what the real Nambler is. Beta. Yeah, it, yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's always a pleasure. Looking forward to getting you back on TMBS soon. Oh, for sure, for sure. Always a pleasure. All right, uh, be good and talk to you soon.